What's going on, everybody? It's Sean here with Gadget Reason Radio, and today is Saturday, August 18th, 2017, and I wanted to try something a little bit different today. Uh, I've, been doing, I've been doing a lot of experimenting with my anchor station here and the podcast, and I wanted to share something with you guys that is something I'm really proud of, and I'm kind of curious to see how it will work as an audio only, uh, because it was originally made for a video that I did for my YouTube channel. So a couple of months ago, I found my original Nintendo Game Boy that I, that I had stored in a bag or something. And uh, it was in pretty rough shape. And I decided to see what it would take to kind of restore it. And what started out as kind of a little goofy experiment turned into this whole big thing where I started to have a lot of memories and, and started, started to have a lot of like nostalgia for um, all the time that I had spent playing the Game Boy when I was younger and you know what that thing really meant to me in terms of really getting me excited about technology especially mobile technology and so I did this sort of little mini documentary it was a, a video kind of going through the whole process of talking about what it was like to restore my Game Boy back to almost like new condition and all of the sort of memories and thoughts that I had during that process and I'll leave a link to the YouTube video here in this segment if you guys want to go um, check it out. If you're listening via the podcast, obviously I can't leave you a link. Um, and I wish that I could just tell you to go to youtube.com forward slash gadget reason um, and watch that video. But unfortunately, because uh, my, my YouTube channel is relatively new and small and YouTube still has that ridiculous uh, limitation where you have to have a certain number of subscribers before you can get a unique um, URL. I've gone through all the other steps that they used to let you do to be able to get a verified or a uh, custom URL for your YouTube channel, but those steps no longer work anymore. You have to have a minimum of, I think, 100 subscribers now before you can get a custom URL. So um, if you go to YouTube and you do a search for Gadget Reason Game Boy, you'll be able to find my video that way. But uh, in this next segment, I'm just going to kind of upload um, the audio from that video. Now keep in mind, I did this video before the Nintendo Switch came out, so there's a few references in there that uh, maybe don't make sense now that the Switch is actually on the market and available, but everything else is still really relevant, and I, I listened to it without watching the video, and it does play pretty well, so I think it, it you can still get the gist of what it was like to, to go through that, and I think I do a pretty good job of describing what's happening on the screen um, in the video, so, so you can kind of still get a feel for it, and again, if you're listening to this on Anchor, by all means, click the uh, link if you want to go take a look at how the Game Boy turned out after it was restored or if you want to see any of the, the video that goes along with this audio. So yeah, enjoy and I will talk to you guys later. What's going on guys, it's Sean here with Gadget Reason. With the incredible popularity of the now sold out and very hard to find NES Classic miniature console that got released for this year's holiday shopping season, I started thinking more and more about the rise in the popularity of retro gaming. Everything from throwback inspired indie games that are using 8-bit styled graphics to large corporations like Kia using Bojackson and Tecmo Bowl uh, in their current advertising campaign. So it's really just kind of everywhere. So a couple of weeks ago, I decided to dig out my Nintendo Game Boy console that I've had since it was originally released. Now, it was in pretty bad shape. The plastic was yellowed. Uh, there was corrosion all inside the battery compartment. Uh, the speaker didn't really work anymore. So I decided to do a little bit of research and set out on a path to restore my original launch edition Nintendo Game Boy back to its former glory.
Now, in the summer of 1989, I was pretty much like any average 13-year-old kid. I was a smart-mouthed, obnoxious kid with a bad attitude and an even worse case of ADD. Now, long before the internet existed, we got all of our gaming and tech news from magazines. And at some point, I had convinced my parents to get me a subscription to a few of them. And I always looked forward to their arrival in the mail to kind of see what was new and what was happening in the gaming and tech world. And there it was. There was this ad for this Nintendo Game Boy. You know, I stared at it for 10 minutes, literally trying to understand how this could even be possible. You have to try and remember that at this point in time, the only truly portable gaming device that was really widely available were the Game & Watch systems that were also available from Nintendo. So as you can imagine, this concept of having a self-contained video game device that didn't need to be plugged into a television and that could be carried around in the palm of my hand, in my backpack, and ran on batteries was just my sole mission in life became trying to figure out how to obtain one of these devices without my parents knowing that I had it. In spite of what the ads were trying to portray, I couldn't really imagine a scenario where I would get grounded or punished and my parents would not also take away the Nintendo Game Boy. So I got together with one of my buddies and we decided to go out uh, and try and make some money in the neighborhood, doing things like walking dogs or feeding people's pets when they were out of town, doing some yard work, mowing lawns, trimming hedges, basically any odd job that we could find that would allow us to make some extra money. So let's take a look at the completely restored Game Boy after it's been reassembled. And I think at first glance you can tell that I put a lot of time and effort into trying to get this back to as close to factory new condition as I possibly could. Now there were a few concessions that I had to make on areas that could not be fully restored so I just outright replaced them and I'll get to those in just a second. Basically once the Game Boy was completely disassembled I did some basic cleaning with household cleaning products and then after that I did some really light sanding with a fine grit sandpaper on a few small areas that were scratched or blemished. I also cleaned the internal PC board with some alcohol, there was some sticky residue and some corrosion on a few areas and the volume and contrast slider wheels and potentiometers were also kind of sticky so I cleaned those with alcohol as well. I also ended up replacing some bad capacitors to fix the audio problem. The final step in the cleaning process was to use a bleach that's designed for use in hair salons. It's what they use to dye people's hair and it's basically a peroxide bleach that's in a shampoo type texture. I basically just applied it to the entire housing of the Game Boy's plastic chassis and let it sit for a few hours and then repeat it a few times until most of the yellow staining was gone. And then lastly I replaced the original plastic screen lens that was pretty severely scratched with an aftermarket version made from real glass. Once I had everything screwed back together it was time to pop in some rechargeable batteries and fire it up and see if it all worked. Thankfully everything worked perfectly right out of the gate and I didn't have any major issues. And one of the most impressive things to me is that even after nearly 30 years the gameplay and graphics still really hold up. Obviously the grayscale color palette and 8-bit pixels are no match for today's modern devices with high resolution screens and all that but it's still a lot of fun to play. Really, it's a true testament to the outstanding artists and game designers of that era for finding ways to maximize the limited resources they had available. One thing that a lot of people don't realize is that the artists of that generation actually used the limitations in the screen technology and the hardware to actually make the graphics look better. And if you look at these graphics from Mario Land, which is one of the older games available for the Nintendo Game Boy, you can see exactly how the game developers and artists use the limited screen technology and the 4-bit grayscale palette to really be able to maximize the believability of the graphics. Now obviously, again, these graphics do not hold up when you compare them to, say, a Nintendo 3DS, but the reality is, is that on this very limited, very ancient hardware, you can still look at this screen and tell that that is absolutely Mario running across the screen, and you can see that there is actual depth and shading applied to a lot of the graphics in the background.
Comparing the original Game Boy to today's portable consoles is pretty tough because you could actually argue that the Game Boy was the closest we've come yet to replicating what was possible in a home console for the time. Now obviously something like the PlayStation Vita or the Nintendo 3DS are incredibly powerful machines compared to what the Game Boy was capable of, but at the time the Nintendo Game Boy actually came really really close to the same hardware specifications that were in the NES. One of the things that I found most interesting about going through this whole process was that portable consoles have kind of been promising to recreate the home or arcade experience in a portable package for years. And for all the improvements and technology leaps that have happened over the past few generations, that still really has never been achieved. Now the PSP was a pretty big leap towards making that goal a reality with full 3D graphics and an analog control stick that was similar to the home consoles of that generation. But on a power perspective, it was pretty far behind what was capable on a PS2 or an Xbox. The Vita took things a little bit closer with incredible 3D graphics and dual analog sticks, but the developer support was never really there, so we never really got to see the true power and potential of what the Vita was going to be capable of. Even Nintendo themselves seems to still be striving to deliver that full console experience, even attempting to combine the two systems now with the announcement of their upcoming Nintendo Switch Hybrid. Taking a look at the Game Boy specs, we have a custom 8-bit CPU from Sharp that was running at a blazing fast 4.19 MHz. It had 8 kilobytes of RAM, 8 kilobytes of internal video RAM, and it was rocking a single speaker up front. The Game Boy's sound processing was capable of producing stereo sound, but you needed to plug in headphones to be able to take advantage of this. On the screen side of things, the Game Boy was rocking a 2.6 inch non-backlit reflective STN LCD with an ever so crispy 160 by 144 pixel resolution. The display was running on a 2-bit color palette that was capable of producing four shades of gray, or in the case of the Game Boy original, light green to very dark olive green. Because of the fact that the Game Boy did not have a backlit display, you could get up to 30 hours of gameplay time on a set of four AA batteries. And I can tell you that over the past two weeks, I've been using the Eneloop rechargeable batteries in my Game Boy, and even after 15 plus hours of playtime and testing to record video footage, uh, I still have not had to recharge the batteries once, so that's pretty amazing. Like so many things in technology, it's easy to forget how much we owe to the early technology breakthroughs like the Game Boy. For me, the Game Boy represents a lot more than just a portable video game console. You could really make the case that the Game Boy was the first truly portable mobile device. So, you know, without the Game Boy, maybe we wouldn't have iPhones. One of the things I always remembered about the Game Boy was the ridiculous amount of games that were available. It seemed like everybody and anybody was making games for the Game Boy. Now that really shouldn't come as that much of a surprise. When a system sells as well as the Game Boy did, obviously developers are going to jump on board. The original Game Boy sold a staggering 118 million units during its lifespan. That puts it in third place on the list of best-selling consoles of all time. What's even more amazing is that two of the top three best-selling consoles of all time are both portable Nintendo handhelds. The Nintendo DS actually sold 154 million units worldwide during its lifespan, which puts it in second right behind the world's best-selling console, which everybody knows is the PlayStation 2, that sold an incredible 157 million units during its lifespan. If you're interested in playing retro games, then the Game Boy is definitely a good choice of systems to play them on. Not only are you going to have hundreds of titles to choose from, but you're also going to be able to play them on a device that lasts about 30 hours of playtime, which you definitely can't say about any other portable device. 
the Game Boy represented much more than just being a simple video game console for me at the time. For one, it opened my imagination to what would be possible in the future from mobile devices or portable electronics. For me, and I think for probably a lot of other people of my generation, the Nintendo Game Boy represented sort of a gateway to the future of what would ultimately become possible with things like the iPhone or Android devices or tablets. And it was it was kind of our entry into the, the tech universe and that enthusiasm of what was truly possible with technology. As always, you can find me on all social media platforms at Gadget Reason. Anyway, that's it for me. Thanks for watching, and I'll catch you guys on the next one.